Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. I'm sitting down for a couple reasons, not only because I'm old, but because... Because I feel like this is a conversation that we're going to have to have because it's about conversations. And most conversations that are what you would say serious, uh, they usually, if you're standing up and looking each, at each other when you're having it, it has probably escalated to a point, right, where you're like leaning into each other. And so we're going to dial it back a bit and talk about difficult conversations and, and what does the scripture have to say about when we have them, how do we have them in a productive way. And uh, I don't think these booklets, they didn't get here, right? I think all the storm and everything. We've got a little, this is a, a actually kind of a study and a guide for helping this that's from the vineyard and, and was put out. And these will be in by next Sunday for sure. Uh, but you'll get a good synopsis this morning from what I'm going to share about this. But this will help you, guide you through this too and hard decisions, difficult conversations, hard conversations. Uh, it doesn't take long in life to realize that if you do anything, you're going to eventually have to have a difficult conversation with someone, right? Or someone's going to have one with you. And, I mean, whether now it's political issues or whether it's uh, racial issues, tensions, uh, heck, even going on vacation with your family can be a difficult conversation. It can be a challenging conversation. Where to go to eat after church can be a difficult conversation. Uh, raising children, discipline. I mean, uh, in the church, as we work with teams with one another and we try to accomplish things, there will always be an opportunity, right, to have difficult conversations. Well, I, as, as I've said so many times about the Scripture, the Scripture is not, uh, it doesn't gloss over these things. It, it doesn't leave it to our imaginations and that uh, how to handle these things, nor does it say that it's some pie-in-the-sky reality if you are a Christian and following Jesus. You still have to deal with the same issues that every human being has to deal with. And this is so much on display in a section of Scripture over in Acts, the 15th chapter. Now, we've been in that area, right? We were in our last series. We were in Acts 13, and we moved 14, 15 in that area. So we're following right along in the journey here with Paul and Barnabas. And if you take your hand out, flip it over, there will be a filling in on the back side as well as some statements on the bottom part of the page that will help you process and work through this as well. But let's read this scripture and set this up. Barnabas wanted to, listen to this, here's the missionary team, right? Remember how glorious the Antioch church was? Remember how great it was and laying hands on them and the Holy Spirit spoke and they sent Barnabas and Paul off with the Holy Spirit and, and they take off to do this wonderful missions trip and by the time we get to chapter 15, listen, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They, Barnabas and Paul, had such a sharp disagreement. And that language means exactly what it says. It was a sharp, very confrontational, uncomfortable discussion between the two of them. Sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark or John Mark, as he was called, and sailed for Cyprus, which was Barnabas' home. 
But Paul chose Silas and left, committed by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Church split. (laughs) Right here in the Bible. You know, what happened two chapters earlier? Paul and Barnabas, things were going so great and the church blessed them and they were looking forward to all the great work and indeed great work was going on and now all of a sudden there is this confrontation. Your first fill-in on the back is this. Conflict is inevitable. Conflict is inevitable. It's going to happen. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you don't love God. It doesn't even it doesn't mean that you're out of the will of God wherever you are. It doesn't doesn't mean that you're falling short. Conflict is going to happen. It's a given. Paul, let's just take a stock at this. Paul is an amazing person. He's known kind of as a super apostle. I mean, we get most of our theology from him. Most of the New Testament was written by him. He is an amazing man by any stretch and any description. Very, uh, very smart, very educated. Uh, Jesus drafted him in a very, uh, uh, let's say, just crazy way, right? Knocking him off of his ride, coming to him and drafting him to follow him, striking him blind and telling him, um, you know, I want you to follow me, but you're going to have to learn some things. And the whole process is... Just a testament to God's choice of Paul. Paul uh, is full of passion. He has little fear, especially when it comes to sharing the gospel and wanting to take it wherever. He has little fear of confronting anyone about anything. <laughs> he steps into it. Now, when I think of Paul, you know, I think of that kind of guy that the passion of Christ and wanting to see churches planted and wanting to see uh, the Gentiles especially come to Christ. Paul was fearless, and he paid a heavy price as you read the list of things that he went through. I mean, he was beat, stoned, uh, you name it, shipwrecked, thrown in jail, thought dead. I mean, he, he went through a process that there's, there's no way you can look at Paul and go, well, he's just, you know, a jerk. No, this guy had a heart for God. Like so many of us, we have a heart for God, we... It's burning up in our souls and we don't know what to do with it. And we just want to take it and go with it. And Paul was just a man who was committed to seeing the gospel preached and to seeing churches. And Barnabas. Barnabas, is, his name means son of exhortation or son of encouragement. Uh, a man who was known to be a very uh, prolific uh, speaker. To, he could speak well, uh, Jewish Guy born on Cyprus, uh, well-educated. Obviously, he supported Paul for the first part of the missions, that first trip, the missionary journey. And you see the shift in the missions journey as it goes from Barnabas and Paul to Paul and Barnabas as it it shifts through more of the emphasis and more of God putting, it seems like, more of a major call on Paul's life. But Barnabas... uh, was a wonderful man too. Now John Mark is his cousin. So there's a family situation here. There are ties in this group. Right? That kind of can complicate things, can it? Like if, uh, if you're doing something and you've got family with you involved in it. And you're trying to accomplish something. Uh, Barnab- Barnabas was a, you know, a cousin of John Mark. He was committed. At the, uh, as we follow his life in the book of Acts. We see that he was committed enough to the care of the church. That he sold land. 
in order to give an offering for the poor. They were going through a famine and all. He put his own self, his own treasures on the line for the sake of the church, for the gospel. And so Barnabas is not someone that just happened to drop in, you know, on this thing and be a troublemaker. No, Barnabas was known to be someone who comforted people and who encouraged people and was there to help them. He was called, he's called a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. Who wouldn't want to be called that? Wouldn't you want that to be uh, what people say about you? That was Barnabas. And then there's John Mark. And John Mark, we think the Gospel of Mark was written by him. And Mark was a close friend of Peter's. Uh, Many people think the Gospel of Mark reflects Peter's uh, almost narrative of his journey with Jesus. And uh, do you remember the time when Peter was in jail and he miraculously got out in the book of Acts? And remember he showed up at this house where there was a prayer meeting? You guys read this, this Bible, yeah. This is in there. And he, he, he gets out and he goes to this house and he knocks on the door and this girl comes to it. And they're praying for him, right, for Peter, inside. And then all of a sudden they see him. And have you ever had your prayers answered but you freak out and you don't believe it when it happens? Because that's kind of like what happened is, is, you know, she doesn't even unlock the door. She just runs back to the prayer meeting and says, Peter's at the front door. Yeah. Well, that was at Mark's mother's house, Mary. Uh, that, so John Mark was raised in a wonderful home, believing home with a mom, Mary, who had prayer meetings in her house. And so all three of these individuals, very committed disciples of Jesus. All of them. And yet they get to a point where they have a confrontation to such a boiling point that two good friends split and they go two separate ways. We don't know exactly what caused the split. Acts 13, 13 says that Mark left. John Mark left the journey, that first missions trip. Uh, It just says he left them. We don't know why he left Barnabas and Paul, we don't know why he took off. It could have been, if you read on into Galatians, it could have been because, or Paul could have had a problem with Barnabas because there was a point where Peter, Barnabas' good friend, Peter was starting to slide over to the Jewish Christians and showing a bias toward them rather and kind of spurning the Gentile Christians at one point. And in Galatians 2, we read that Barnabas was a part of that. And Paul got in Peter's face, as Paul was wont to do when he saw something that wasn't right, and uh, co- corrected him in front of everyone. It was a public rebuke to Peter. Like, this is not right. The Gentiles, we are going to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. You cannot slight them. And Barnabas was a part of that, and it had to do something maybe with them trying to have circumcision brought in on the Gentiles and, and try to make them Jewish if they were going to be Christians as well. And, and so it could have been that. The Bible somewhat leaves us guessing what the real problem was. But I like the fact that it leaves it in here. And I like the fact that we see that these three amazing men of God were ordinary people too who have disagreements. And actually they can blow it at times. There's no way to... To spin this. You know, there's no way to say, oh, this was a really good thing. And uh, so conflicts among the best of us happen. 
They're going to happen. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you or wrong with anybody else. They're going to happen. Conflict is inevitable, but here's your second fill-in. Contentiousness now is a choice. Contentiousness is a choice. How you deal with it. Being contentious does not have to happen. It doesn't. In this story, Luke includes it, I think, but he doesn't dwell on it so that we can indeed see that, you know, things can, the the best of us can fall short when it comes to how to have difficult conversations. Uh, We don't have to let our disagreements, our conflicts break down and dissolve into this caustic battle between one another. And, you know, we do one of two things usually, and, and it would be interesting to know which one is your uh, default. We either go to silence or violence <laughs> when these things happen. Silence or violence. Silence, you know, you suddenly mask things. That's with sarcasm. Whenever you want to deal with something, you start getting sarcastic. That's really being silent because the person may not have a clue of what you're saying. You know, I, I've heard sarcasm is called veiled hostility you know it's like you're really ticked off about something but you're too much of a weenie to say it (laughs) so you get sarcastic sarcastic look i grew up with all brothers i have the art of sarcasm down not only did we pummel each other physically but we would pummel each other with words constantly and uh, i understand it you know i even somewhat have a sick appreciation for (laughs) Artful sarcasm. But, uh, but when it is used to try to get back at someone or to try to communicate something that you're just not willing to communicate, then that's, it's not helpful. Mask, even sugarcoating things, downplaying things too much. Masking, they call it, or avoiding. You know, like steering the conversation somewhere else. You ever had that? Someone wants to have a difficult conversation with you. Well, I heard. Well, how about the storm, though? You know, <laughs> don't you think we should be talking about the storm right now? Uh, you know, kind of steer that uncomfortable conversation somewhere else. Those are all artful ways of silence to try to not deal with it. And then there's withdrawing. There's just pulling away from it. You know who controls a conversation? The one not talking. Because it's not going anywhere. When the person shuts down and stops, all movement has stopped. That's silence. Now, there's another side, too. There's another way. Violence, that sounds like a a tough word, but we do violence when we try to control conversations. We try to overpower it, overpower what people are thinking or overpower them. Uh, Controlling, dominating the conversation, coercing people. You know, speaking in absolutes, you always, you never, everybody knows. Those are absolutes that are absolutely not true. (laughs) But we just want to get our way and we want to make our point so much. But you know what that does? Who can argue with that if everybody knows it? If everybody knows it but me, how can I argue? How can I even, What my part of this doesn't mean anything. I'm outvoted all the way around. That's doing violence to the 
conversation. We use hyperbola, you know, we just, we just want to control it. We want to take it back. We want to take the conversation back because it's getting uncomfortable. And we want to control it. And we may start using labels. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Boy, you're acting like a jerk right now, you know. We start using labels to tag people. And, uh, and then we begin to attack because we want to make that person suffer. We can just get them to suffer. But you know what happened? I know this is true in marriages. You know, when we get to that point, a lot of times in this other, the spouse suddenly starts crying. You don't feel so good about it, do you? You brought them to that point and they're suffering. And now you're going, wow. You know what? I took control of this conversation, but I lost the whole thing. I just lost it. Which one do you default to? Be honest with you. If you don't know, either ask your spouse or, uh, or ask someone who knows you really well. Ask your friend or your children. They'll tell you. And, uh, you know, or someone, your friend, your closest friend, just ask them, which one do I do? Do I act out in silence or violence? Which one is it? Uh, how do I handle these difficult conversations? How do I do this? So conflict is inevitable. Contentiousness, though, is a choice. We don't have to go there. We don't have to go there. We don't. That is, I know you feel like you're being compelled. You feel like there's a boot in your back pushing you toward this that you have to. And a lot of that is our insecurities. A lot of that is a sense of loss of control. And, and we, we don't know where it's going to end up at. And so we, you know, we want to take control of it quick and, and, and steer it a different direction. But it doesn't have to be contentious. And it doesn't have to be contentious in the way of silence either, of not dealing with it. And listen, this is your third one. Commitment. There must be a commitment to understanding. A commitment to understanding one another is crucial. Before your feelings hijack you, and before your insecurities and your own ego and your sense of who you are or not takes you hostage, if you can train yourself to go, I want to understand what's going on here. I really do. If I'm committed to trying to understand what that other person is saying then I, and what I'm saying and my own feelings in the process of why I'm responding that way, then I'm going to have a much better chance of having a good conversation, a productive conversation here. The good news in all of this with Paul and Barnabas and um, John Mark is that later on, we don't know how long, but later on we find out that they were reconciled. In Colossians 4.10 we read, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings. This is Paul writing. As does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. So Paul, at some point, it turned around, the relationship did, and Paul sent letters out that welcome John Mark. When he comes to you, welcome him. So the things turned around. We don't know the process. We don't know what happened. Uh, I wish we did, but we don't. And in 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark 
and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in ministry. Now, if this is written when we think it was written, then that means that John Mark, the one that they split, Barnabas and Paul split over, that means that Mark was with Paul the last days of his life. That he was there with Paul right before he was martyred. So something changed. Something wonderful happened in the process where Paul was reconciled to Barnabas and reconciled to John Mark. And there were two teams birthed. As we read this story of this split, there were two teams birthed. You know, Barnabas and John Mark went one direction, to Cyprus and on. And then Paul grabs Silas with him and they go another direction. So there's more ground covered in these, as these two separate. But let's look, the scripture does not paint this as a great thing and a good thing the way this happened, okay? This was God's sovereignty and bringing together a bad situation and getting something good out of it. It wasn't because Barnabas and Paul dealt with this the right way that it turned out like this. It was God's sovereignty. It was his love to see the church birthed in that area that he worked through the midst of the human foibles and fables of failures to bring about this. Because uh, this wasn't a good thing. I mean, they had just had church in Antioch where everybody was in unity and everybody was getting along. And then all of a sudden this happens. Imagine what the people in Antioch thought when they get news that the great team that they just sent off has exploded apart. Falling apart. There had to be fallout in the church from that. And yet God did something. But we have to remember that God is sovereign like that. And, but that doesn't take away the hurt and the pain that happens in those fallouts. Now the, to close this out. You look on the bottom part of your page. There's an affirmation. Each week we are going to have an affirmation. Hopefully it will help us as we have these conversations. These will also be in this uh, booklet when you get it next Sunday. When you receive it next Sunday. And that first one is this. This is one we need to affirm. God has all truth. But we don't have a perfect understanding of it. Affirmed. God has all truth. But we don't have a perfect understanding of it. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we read, Now we see things imperfectly. This is Paul himself writing this. Like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. What he means when the kingdom comes in fullness, when Jesus returns, we'll see everything just as clear. We'll understand it. We'll understand all that's gone on around us. Then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely. Just as God knows me completely. But now we don't. So we are always operating with less information than we wish we had. When we have our conversations. These crucial and difficult conversations. And uh, here's one We need to realize whether the other person is right or wrong. It doesn't make them a bad person. Whether they are right or wrong doesn't make them a bad person. When we devalue people and we suddenly, because we have a disagreement, we write them off and we think they're less than a a human being. They're less than having the imprint of God, the Imago Dei in them as a person created by God. Once we write them off, we have devalued them. We have pushed them to the side. We have labeled them and relegated them as less than human. And that's not 
the way we want to treat people, <laughs> especially, especially we Christ followers. Realize that the other person is, whether right or wrong, it doesn't make them a bad person. How many of you have friends who may live a little bit of a corrupt lifestyle, but they're great friends to you? I do. I've got friends that have shown up in my life when the church didn't show up in my life. And I hear stories from them that make me cringe when I'm with them sometimes, you know. I'm embarrassed. I won't take my wife to gatherings because I'm like, you don't want to hear these things, (laughs) you know. Like, you just don't want to hear them. But I get invited and I go because when I've been at some tough spots in my life, you know who showed up? These people. They showed up. And uh, they're not bad people. And because I disagree with some things in their life doesn't make them bad. And uh, we draw conclusions with limited knowledge. You know, we don't know everything that's going on in that person's life that we're having this disagreement with. We don't know what went this morning. We don't know what they went through last night. We don't know if they're dealing with a sickness. We don't know if they're dealing with some horrendous debt. We don't know if they lost their job. We don't know if they're about to have a marital split. We don't know if they just failed their exams. We don't know. And so we can't just write the person off as a bad person. We can't do that. And if we'll remember that. Now, none of, this mean, none of this means we don't have the conversation. Do you get this? But if we affirm, we affirm this, then we're, we're going to have a better conversation. It'll keep the contentiousness out of the center of it if we remember this. Uh, Secondly, imagine a world, and I know this is going to be hard for a lot of us, but imagine a world where the other person is right. I know that's an alternate reality. I know that. I know it's like science fiction. That person, there's no way. you know. But just as a practice, as a practice of humility and preparation for a tough conversation, a difficult talk, imagine that they possibly could be right. I mean, just give it some thought. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> no way, man. That's just so. But it will stimulate your heart. It will open up your heart a bit so that you can hear. And thirdly, the other person's opinion about this subject is not their entire story of who they are. Their opinion about whatever this conversation is over is not their whole life. There's so much more to that person. I have conversations, and I I mention this occasionally with some particular people, uh, atheists, and it's easy who are sometimes flagrantly vile and just horrendous in the way they talk about Christians. But I have found that if I keep talking to some, not all of them, because some of them are open to it, but if I keep talking to a few, I find out they have a life. They are actually human beings. I find out that they're married and they've been married for a long time. I find out that they've got three daughters and four granddaughters. I find out that he was a pro skateboarder at one time. I find out that he was raised in church in a hyper-fundamentalist Pentecostal church That when he started asking questions at a young age about the reality of God, he was told he had a demon because he had a lack of faith. And now, after five years of talking with him, 
as he begins to throw out certain things at me, we have a base of understanding where we can continue the dialogue. And it's hard for me because I'm up for a verbal battle. <laughs> I'm ready to rock and roll. And um, it, 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 it really humbles me. And the Lord humbles me to say, you know, I love him. I really love him. I died for him. And what you hear coming from him and from his heart and where he is right now comes from a, a whole different, he's a person. So much more than what you're hearing. He has people he loves. He has things he struggles with. He has a history. He has a mom, a dad. He has a job. There are different things going on in his life. And it makes your heart, you know, it kind of creates in you a heart that's more willing to listen. Does it change your convictions? No, it doesn't. It kind of strengthens my convictions in many ways, but at the same time, it allows me to learn how to communicate clearer and more compassionately. It doesn't mean we don't have the conversations. That's silencing, right? If we just withdraw and don't have the important conversations, that's not the way to do this either. And two, two little helpful comments before we close it out in prayer here is this is one. When we have conversations that are important and they're a little bit tense, hinting does not help. <laughs> All right? Hinting does not. Can you say that with me? Hinting does not help. We expect people to catch on to our hints. Well, I told you, huh? You know, I didn't because we were dancing around it. That's kind of the silence maneuver. We were hinting. We felt like we were clear. But we're hinting. We're just dancing around it. Hinting doesn't help. But also hurting doesn't help. Get this? Be going quiet on the thing and not talking about something that's important doesn't help. But hurting another person because you've got a situation here, that doesn't help either. So we're off and we're on this journey of difficult conversations and how to have them. And hopefully Jesus will help us. with, And uh, we're going to find out the Holy Spirit can be involved in our conversations as we traverse through this series. Now, my question right now, twofold. One, as we get ready to close out, is this. What face is coming to your mind <laughs> right now when we talk about having a difficult conversation? What difficult conversation do you need to have with someone? You see them right now. You see who they are. Right? We see through a glass darkly. We don't know everything about this going on in their life. We don't know all their processing. We know God loves them. And you know what? You must care about them too or you wouldn't even care to confront them. Right? Because confrontation in many ways is an act of love. When it's done right. Because you want to settle something. You want to deal with something. Who is that? Can you lift them up to the Lord. Even right now and pray for them. Maybe just whisper their name to God. Jesus here they are. I'm going to have to have a difficult conversation. Lord I know I'm going to. Would you prepare their heart. And would you prepare mine. Would you help me Lord. Help me be clear. But help me be loving and wise. And. 
Come, Lord. Lift him to you. Let's stand, guys. Holy Spirit, would you come fill this place right now? Come, Jesus. On the job, Lord, where employers and employees have to have conversations, we pray for your grace and your mercy. We pray for clarity, Lord, and we pray for respect. In our homes, where we are forging our relationships daily, sometimes minute by minute with one another, trying to invest in something that we can enjoy for the rest of our lives and that can give you glory, Lord, in how we do our lives together. Lord, will you help us? Help us have the difficult conversations, the hard talks, Lord. Help us do them well. Give us redemptive language, Lord, but honest communication. Lord, with our friends, people that we love and we care about, that we feel estranged from and that maybe have broken off relationships because of opinions about something. or Lord, we pray that hearts at least could be reconciled. Maybe opinion and conviction are not the same around some issue or topic, but Lord, would you reconcile hearts To the point of respecting one another as human beings, God. People you died for. Help us have conversations, tough conversations. When we talk about politics, when we talk about the issues of uh, our social concerns, when we talk about uh, our homes, our communities, our neighborhoods, our families, our jobs. Yes, we want to see your kingdom come. And many times it has to come through conversation, Lord. Honest, heartfelt conversation. Help us do them well. Help us do them well, Lord. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website, or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.